I was wondering this week what Americans spend on their appearance. I was I was a little surprised when I when I read the statistics about what we spend. Let me just share a few of those with you. Before we begin to condemn those that Jesus was teaching, let's look at what our um, culture that we live in, what we spend our time and money on. Between um, Americans spend between 40 and 50 billion dollars a year on weight loss. And, it, and maybe, you know, we need to spend a little bit more looking at when I go to the mall, sometimes I think you know, maybe that's not enough. Americans spent, now what's interesting is that Americans spend $30 billion a year on athletic apparel alone. Just on the things that they, that they wear so that they can lose weight. Right? All right, now a, a survey by the Huffington Post said that uh, getting ready in the morning, men and women getting ready in the morning, found that one-fourth of men, 25%, and one-fifth of women, 21%, take longer than 30 minutes to get ready in the morning. To go out at night, nearly half of women, 42%, require longer than 30 minutes of getting ready time. I have, that doesn't surprise me. Um, <coughs> In, in, in Walgreens, you have a dozen different cosmetic brands to choose from as the drugstore generally has 25,000 beauty units in stock. That's a lot. Uh, between the ages of 16 and 65, a typical woman shops for cosmetics at least five times a year, spending $43 on a typical trip. This means that over the course of a year, she spent $215. I thought that was a little low. Um, over a lifetime, a typical woman spends $15,000 on makeup products. And uh, that's a lot. 15.1 million cosmetic procedures were performed in 2013. 15 million cosmetic procedures. The average makeup bag, I love this one. The average makeup bag contains $170 worth of products. Sound about right? Some of you are making up on the cheap, I can tell by the look on your eye. The study found, this study by Today and AOL study found that women spend 335 hours or two weeks on their hair and makeup per year, which equals to 55 minutes a day. But, 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 this is how important appearance is. But, and I, some of you are going, that's not me. Oh, okay, I didn't say it was you. This is a study, all right? So. 60% of women, now, now remember how much has been spent on appearance. 60% of women and a whopping 78% of teenage girls have something bad to say about their looks. Men were also polled, but they came in lower numbers at 36%. That's because we have this false impression that we, we really look pretty good. Um, <laughs> So you say, well, boy, that's all about women and cosmetics. Okay, guys, I didn't leave you alone, all right? So men, 
The men's grooming market in 2010 had $1.5 billion in sale. Now, some of you will like this one. I like this. 40, there are 40 million bald men in the U.S. Amen? I'm looking at you, Scott, saying amen. 10% of those 40 million bald men will spend $1 billion a year on shampoo, hair pieces, etc. Men spend, men spend in one year spent $800 million on transplants. All right? It's amazing, isn't it? All right, here's the top five male grooming rituals. <laughs> and, and old Ron's just sitting there going, ha, 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 ha. All right, here's where Ron comes in, though. Men spend bathing and showering of their life. We spend two years and three months. Going to the gym and body sculpting, 15 months of our life. Shaving, 5.5 months of our life are, are spent shaving. I read that and said, I, I, I'm going to grow the beard back. I said, this is just, just ridiculous. Cutting and styling hair, five months less for some of us. Hair removal, hair removal, one month of their life. Nail maintenance, including filing and buffing. I, I don't know how many of you buff. <laughs> 27 days for 4.5 years of, your li of our life, men, spent taking care of the outward appearance. Now, ladies, I'm not going to go through all of yours, but let me, let me tell you this. This is what's surprising. We spent, men, we spent 4.5 years grooming ourselves of our life. Women, 3.1 years. You say, well, where did you get that? I, I just made it up. Sounded good to me. Now, the culture, the time that Jesus spoke, the Sermon on the Mount was quite different than the culture we live in today. Understood. But they had a, a little bit different view of the importance of the outward appearance. Our study today, Jesus comes with another shocking statement to the crowd. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So well, what does that have to do with anything that you just said? Well, stay with me for just a second. The, the Jews, the, the people in the crowd, most of the people in the crowd, were under a heavy spiritual burden. Thousands of people are listening to Jesus as he begins by teaching his disciples and then his message goes to the crowds because we know at the end in chapter 7 it said the crowds were astonished at his message because he, because he spoke as one having authority not as the scribes. So we know he's speaking to thousands of people and these thousands of people that were gathered there were um, under this burden of, relentless burden, oppressive burden of the righteous requirements that the Pharisees had placed on them. 
Uh, the, the Pharisees of that day, the religious leaders, had invented even new laws that they call their traditions, and Jesus referred to their traditions. We'll read about it in a minute. And they had invented new traditions because they couldn't keep God's laws. So they said, well, let's, let's have these traditions, these, these rituals, these ceremonies that we could keep. And the people were living under that. And so they come to the mountain and to listen to Jesus who has been healing people, who has been touching people that are blind or deaf or lame, casting out demons, restoring families, doing all of this work among them. And they're saying, I'm frustrated by this legal system that we're under. I can't do right. I can't win. And I would imagine they were thinking, you know, I need someone not to give me more laws. I need someone to forgive me for breaking the ones that I break every day. Now, so I, I think the crowds around Jesus basically had two questions, okay? And these two questions, one, how can I ever enter God's kingdom when I can't keep God's laws? Now, remember they were told you cannot go to heaven you cannot be a part of God's kingdom unless you do everything that we have laid out for you. That went way beyond the Ten Commandments. That's a whole other lesson that we'll talk about sometime. The other question I think was on their mind is how can a holy God give salvation to a sinful man? Now, Jesus then tells them and he takes a shot at the Pharisees when he says this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I cannot imagine hearing that for the first time. They are thinking, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. I can't do this, I can't do this. And Jesus said, you want to see God? then you need to be pure in heart. The Pharisees, the study of the Pharisees is fascinating. They taught that you had to wash your hands a certain way every day. They taught that you had to wash your pots and pans a certain way. They, they taught that you had to get out of bed a certain way, a certain side. Some of you, that would be no problem. You get out on the wrong side of the bed every day. Um, but I know, thank you. I didn't get the rim shot there, Scott. The <laughs> but they, 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 they had, the most strict Pharisee had over 600 things that they required for people to do in order to be righteous. So, Here's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Have you got that, Brenda? I want you to read. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. And Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees, and this is what he says. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, 
and on the but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. They are like sort of more, more a modern day society that I described a moment ago. They are concerned about the outside. They said you've got to have the outside clean. And yet Jesus said you're like a tomb that's all beautiful on the outside but inside are dead man's bones. So this was a this was sort of a, a difficult thing to say to the Pharisees. Now there because what Jesus is getting at through the whole Sermon on the Mount is that there are two types of religion. This is true today. There are two types of religion. One is the religion of human achievement. I can become righteous, I can see God by doing something, by earning it, by doing righteous deeds. That's the religion of human achievement. You can put all of the world's religions, you can put all of the world's religions into one of these two categories. It doesn't matter if it's Buddhism or if Islam or on and on and on. The difference between what Jesus taught and all the other religions is there's the religion of human achievement. I can get to heaven if I earn it. Or the religion of divine accomplishment. That God did it. One says do, the other says done. Now, that's the background for Jesus saying, Blessed are the pure in what? Heart. Heart. Cardia. The word for our innermost being. Blessed are though the seat of our personality, the seat of our thinking, our emotions, our will. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Now, Jesus is borrowing. I, I love this. We don't do this often enough. But when you read a passage of Scripture in the New Testament, or anywhere, it's one of the keys to interpreting Scripture and gaining more out of Scripture is comparing Scripture with Scripture. And one of the things that I think is so important here, I believe Jesus is referring to a Psalm of David. So do me a favor and turn to Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24. I want us to read this very quickly. It's a short, the, the first six verses. It's just a short reading. This is what's called an enthronement psalm. The, the king, David, here, has gone and he's won a victory, a great victory. The people are coming back. They're marching back in and, and ready to come in. And when they come back, what are they going to do? They're going to worship. They're going to praise God. And so here's what David said. And see if you can understand where Jesus, uh, what he took from in this psalm when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all and those who dwell in it. They start out by, by adoration and giving glory to God. 
For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who Now, verse 3, good question. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and may stand in his holy place? So what is he asking? Who can see God? Right? Does that make sense? Who can see God? Who can go into his presence? And, and what does he say? He said, he who has what? Clean hands and what? Pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness, underline that in your Bible, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Who can come into the presence of God? Who can see God? And Jesus said, you know, look, it's the same thing David was saying. Who can go in and worship? Who can come into the place of worship where the, where, uh, where the Jews would worship at and come back after this uh, great victory? Where would they, how would they uh, qualify to come in? He said, you have to have clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands, be cleansed of what you do, hands, and clean heart of what you are. Forgive me my sins of the things that I have done. Forgive me if I have broken one of God's law. Cleanse my hands, what I do, and but cleanse my heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. And we'll see that again later. All right? Now, let's go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Pastor Steve talked about it today. I thought sure he was going to do the whole lesson for me today. And uh, I could just say, listen to the sermon, but he didn't do that. So he just about did. Here's what happens in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Um, Romans chapter 3, I mean chapter 4, um, it talks about Abraham. Pastor Steve talked about it from Galatians chapter 3 this morning. But in Romans chapter 4... It says, Abraham believed God, and it was, in verse 3, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited him. If you go back to Genesis 15 and verse 6, you'll see this again in Genesis 15. And when, when, when God is making, is promising a son to Abraham, this is, you know, he's very old. Going to have, but he said in verse, verse six says that Abraham then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned or he credited it to him as righteousness. Here's what they did in the Old Testament. I have two cards here. One I'm going to use later today to uh, stay at a hotel, and this one I'll probably use later today to get money. Um, this credit card. This is a debit card. This is the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. They credited, and he said, well, how did they get saved in the Old Testament? How did they get saved before the death of Jesus, the cross of Calvary, the shedding of blood? Abraham believed God, and it was he used his credit card. And they put it on the machine, like they used to do, and it's credited, right? We don't do that anymore. Because Jesus has come and died 
and been raised from the dead. And so I just go in and I take my debit card and I said, I'm going to appropriate that to me. And I ask for the blood of Christ to cleanse me and to give me clean hands and a pure heart. All right? Does that make sense? All right. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? And um, the, the word pure, some of you will recognize what this word means in English. It's, it's uh, katharos, katharos, K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S, katharos. Katharos means free from impurity. It means in this uh, sense, cleanse from filth and iniquity. We get our words, what, what does it sound like, a word that you might recognize in English? Catharsis. Catharsis, cathartic agent that you might use and to cleanse the wound or whatever you uh, are cleansing. It's used in a psychological terms when you go and, and uh, Scott's a psychiatrist and I sit down and say, Scott, I've got this problem I wanna to talk to you about and it's just really burdening Scott after I pay him $200 for a 30-minute session, Scott listens to me. You're in the wrong business. Uh, Scott listens to me, and I tell him, I'm having this problem and this problem and this problem. I've done this, and I beat the cat, and I kick the dog, and I do this, and I'm terrible. I go on and on, and it all goes back to my childhood, and it all goes back that, I, that my first-grade teacher didn't love me and, and, and beat me and all of these other things. And after I talk for 30 minutes, I get up, and I feel better. Why? It's a catharsis. It's, it's unbearing my soul. It's the cleansing of all of these emotions and everything. That's the word he uses. Now, it has two shades of meaning. It means uh, undivided or unmixed. Okay? You guys remember that uh, soap commercial we had when we were kids? I think it was Dove. Was it Dove? 99.9% .9 pure? Was it Dove? Ivory. Yeah. Uh, oh, 99.9% pure. You know, I always wonder what that other little one per, half of 1% was. Was it dirt? I mean, you know, it's 99.9% .9 pure. And the other, it was just scum, I guess, that was in there. But he's saying here that real purity, it, it's unmixed. In other words, our heart, if we're pure in heart, it's unmixed. It has one God, one devotion to that one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My heart is pure. It also means clean. It means, it means that my heart has been cleansed. Jesus said, Blessed, happy, internally satisfied are you if you're clean. Uh, it's a it's a it's a great truth that he was saying to this group that were saying uh, that were there that were saying, "I'm trying, I'm trying. I do all of these things, and yet I'm not clean." Jesus said, "Blessed are the pure in heart." How do you get to be pure in heart? You have to be purified. It has to happen by coming to Him. And those first Beatitudes where He said, Blessed are they that are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn over their sin, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who come meekly, humbly. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. He said, you hunger and thirst and you come and pour in spirit. He said, what do I do for you? I clean you up. I, I, I make your heart clean. You know, what about the things we're supposed to do? Does that, what about living a pure life? Did he mean that too? Well, I'm so glad you asked that song. Yes, he, he talks about that in many other places of Scripture. When I, was, uh, when I was a kid, we used to, one of my favorite songs when I was a teenager, and I just, uh, later on as a teenager, I finally got things straightened out with the Lord, and uh, we used to sing this song, Dark the Sin That Soiled Man's Nature, Long the Distance That He Fell, far removed from hope in heaven, near to deep despair in hell. But there was a fountain open and the blood of God's own Son purifies the soul and reaches deeper than the stain has gone. That's what he's talking about. He said, my blood will purify your heart and will go deeper than the stain has gone. But what about pure living? Did he mean pure living too? I, I, I found this. I think this will be helpful to you. There are five kinds of purity. John MacArthur, great writer, great preacher, great pastor, but a scholar, and he, he wrote about five kinds of purity in the Bible. Number one is primitive purity. That's the purity of God. All right, That is the essence of purity. And God is the essence of purity. Then he talked about created purity. Created purity was when he created beings before the fall. He created them pure. He created man and created him pure. He created angels and created them pure. And yet the fall took place. Man fell. Angels fell. And then there is the ultimate purity. Will we ever experience ultimate purity? It's a question. Will we ever experience ultimate purity? Yes. The answer is yes. What, what is that called? In the Bible, that's called glorification. And that someday, yes, we will experience, and those who have gone on to heaven before us are living in absolute purity. We don't even know what that's like. We have no idea. We get glimpses of purity and, and well, oh, let me go on. Positional purity. Positional purity. Now, what is positional purity? It's the purity we have now. Well, so what is that? What's the purity I have now? Pastor Steve talked about it this morning. The positional purity that we have now is the righteousness of Christ in our life that we receive the moment we trusted Him. <coughs> That's what it means when it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. That's our positional purity. So when I say, Joe Tom, are you, are you uh, pure? Are you a, have you done pure things this week? Are you a pure man? Are you, are you living in purity? He can say positionally, yes. 
Yes. The last thing is what we were, what what MacArthur calls practical purity. This this is certainly um, a place where we fail. We fail in this effort, and we have we have a remedy for that. But we fail in this effort. We try, and we pray the Lord gives us strength. But we fail in this effort. What do we do when we fail? What does 1 John 1, 9 say that we do when we fail in our attempts to be pure as God wants us to be pure? We're pure positionally. We're pure in the fact that that God is just when He sees us and He doesn't see our sin. He sees, the, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for our sin so that a righteous, holy God can accept me because of, positionally I have that um, cleansing and I'm pure in His sight. But what about the fellowship that I need to have with Christ on a daily basis that requires pure living, and I fail at that. I have many, many verses of Scripture, but I have 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and what? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a daily, sometimes moment-by-moment process of purity. All right? Turn with me real quickly to Psalm 51. Let's see this, how this happened in the Old Testament. Psalm 51. David had just, and I was just reading this in my devotion a couple weeks ago. The sad story of David. David, what a great man. He was the great king, the shepherd, the leader, the warrior, the one who had his... Uh, his, his heart so closely in tuned with God. But when the kings went out to battle at a certain time, he didn't go with them and he stayed back home. And while he was home, he got in trouble. And he looked at Bathsheba and he lusted and he wanted her and he sent for her and he was immoral with her. She was married. Her husband was out fighting. Uriah the Hittite was out fighting. He comes back. David tries to trick them to get uh, to, to cover his sin. And that doesn't work because Uriah was such a devoted and godly man. And so Uriah goes back and David puts him on the front line and David has him killed. So it's, there's, there's a, adultery, there's murder, and all of these things that happen. And so Nathan the prophet comes in and he tells David a story. David says, that's a horrible story. And, and Nathan looked at him and said, David, thou art the man. And then what did David do? Psalm 51. Look at verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, which is like a prickly little plant that uses a brush. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. He confessed and said, Oh, I, he said, I, don't ha I, I don't have clean hands and a clean heart. And I confess. <coughs> and what did God do? God forgave him and cleansed him. So, 
Let's close with this. The promise to the pure in heart is what? You'll see God. Blessed are they that pure in heart, for they shall, they will see God. The word optonomai means to look at, to behold. They're saying in this crowd around Jesus, I can't do all these things. I can't keep up the standards that the hypocritical Pharisees are telling me to keep up. What do I do? And he said, come to me, poor in spirit, uh, humbly, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, mourning over your sin. He said, I'll make you pure in heart. You see, pure in heart can only happen from God. It only can come from God. That's the only way pure in heart can take place. He said, they tense here is the future continual tense. So it could read, they will be continually seeing God. It means we can see Him now. It means that we will see Him one day. I'm going to close with this from a guy named R.T. France, a commentator, who said this, Such is the generation of those who seek Him. And he's talking about Psalm 24, 6. And they receive the promise that they shall see God. This can only be fully realized in heaven when we shall see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2. The we shall be like him and the longings here in verse 6 will be finally satisfied. But in a lesser sense, the vision of God is already the experience of his true lovers on earth who persevere in his service as seeing him who is invisible seeing him now what can you do today you can see him who is invisible in your life but someday right now we can see him in our daily life and how he works and how he blesses encourages leads the way directs our path but one day we will see him face to face and god said to this crowd i know you want to know how to be right with God. And he said, this is how. Have a pure heart. Let God cleanse your heart.